0: For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. Today's lesson is on the administration of a new church with Pastor Scott Wendell. Pastor Wendell is the founding pastor of Valley Forge Baptist Temple in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. By God's grace, the church family has seen both numerical and financial growth every year for the past 25 years. 1
1: Corinthians 14, verse 40 Paul writes, a church in chaos, and says, let all things be done decently and in order. The administration of of a new church. And I really think that's something that we can all think about, of of God allowing us to be more productive, more fruitful. Uh, Our God is a God of order. You look through a telescope or you look through a microscope and you will see order. The sun, moon, stars, you you can see now with the the fancy high-tech microscopes inside a single cell and the whole machinery of it. It is such order. The second law of thermodynamics says that things tend to disorder, which disproves evolution. And so if you would not give attention to your own personal life or ministry, it'll tend to disorder real quickly. And so we want to allow the Lord to be able to bring order to us. And so if you would take a look there in your notes, we're going to talk about how to be able to allow the Lord to be able to do that in our lives. And first is is to seek wise counsel, just to seek wise counsel as, as we understand that God has given us a scripture and he's given us great men and women, to be able to look in the past and also the present. I think even your attendance at a conference like this says, I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to be better for the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you think about seeking wise counsel, uh, first of all from the Lord, and to be able to uh, to be able to walk with God, uh, to stay in the Word of God, and to be able to feed your soul, to meditate on God's truth. And then to be able to, uh, to seek wise counsel from wise counselors. And wherever you may be in ministry uh, right now, if you're getting ready to start a church, it's where am I going going to go to start? If you're already in the church, where to build, uh, when and where to move locations, uh, when to build, what to build. And then I think of the different pastoral questions. I remember back 1980, so this is going back 30 years, I remember a professor saying uh, there to me and to our class, he said, gentlemen, in, in the next couple of decades, there's going to be questions because of science and technology that, that previous generations have not had to face. Little did I know what that meant when he said that. Uh, but when a couple, uh, a couple comes and says, we're looking into embryonic adoption. Have you ever heard of that? You know how they, they have the fertilized eggs and, and they're frozen and then a couple wants to be able to adopt. What do you think about that? What does the Bible say about embryonic adoption? Uh, uh, how about when someone comes in and, and they are transgender? He was a he, now he's a she. I may I say the most ugliest she in all the world, all right? Uh, what, you know, what do you do? Which bathroom do you send them to? Uh, and you begin to say, you know, I don't have all the answers. I really need to seek wise counsel. And you find out what's been going on in the courts. And, and uh, so you need... To say, I I need help. I need God's help. I need to seek wisdom from the Lord. I need to seek wisdom from wise counselors. And then we get into number two is time management. Time management. And uh, let's see here. I'm going to jump ahead. Ah, We are on here. Time management. Uh, The balance of the priorities of your life. And you've heard that a couple of times uh, during this week. The balance of God and church and family and, and personal life. My life verse is Matthew 6:33. Jesus made it very clear for us. He said, "Let me identify your priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." Uh, let me go back to that counseling situation. God gives you a wonderful counselor in your mate. And I'm thankful for my wife. This is my wife, Jody. Uh, we've been married 14 years now. And, and so when you seek counsel from the Lord and from wise counselors, make sure uh, that that most trusted counselor that you have, uh, your wife, to be able to seek counsel from her. But part of that, that balancing of, of God and church and family and, and personal life and, and, and you're going to have to ask the question, how am I going to spend my time and my life in ministry and to be able to bring this all together? Well, growing up, uh, in my case, my, my parents told me what to do. And then you go off to college, and, and then, uh, then they, the professors, they tell you what to do. And, and then I became an intern, and the pastor and the associate pastors told me what to do. And after three years of that, I'm now 24, and I began a church uh, 26 years ago this month in uh, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And now I say, God is my boss. God is my boss. But, you know, he doesn't give a daily to-do list. And so it's real easy to be able to spend the time on the good and the better and to the exclusion of the best. But does he give a daily to-do list? Well, I think if we go to his word and we discover the principles, he will administrate his church, and I think that's what is so important to us. And so what is the pastor's work? Number one, according to Jesus, what did Jesus tell us to do in Matthew 28? What's his command? That's right. The one command is make disciples. The three part disciples are go, baptize, and teach. So if you go and you win people to Christ, you haven't made a disciple, you fulfilled one third of the Great Commission. If you win people to Christ and baptize them, you haven't made a disciple, you have fulfilled two thirds of the Great Commission. If you go and win people to Christ and baptize them and begin to teach and train them, you have made a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that is what the command is from the Lord in Matthew 28. According to Luke, Acts 6, 4, our work is prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. According to Paul, and you can read all of these passages later, but Paul said the work of a pastor is to evangelize the lost. It's to feed the sheep with the Word of God. It's to ordain national pastors to take over uh, and start new works. It's to counsel and warn the flock. Uh, It's equipping the saints. And there's a tremendous passage there in Acts 20. I call it the Miletus message. My wife and I had the opportunity to visit Miletus last, uh, last fall as he met with the Ephesians pastors. And he poured his heart out. And he said, I might never see you again. And so it's, it was the first spiritual leadership conference. And it was in Acts 20. And I would really encourage you to be able to, to go through that. And you'll see the instructions that he gave. Then according to Peter, it's feed the flock. And it's lead the flock. And according to James, it's, it's pray for the sick. And so uh, you have all of these different things coming from the New Testament. And then you have this, well, how do I balance? Uh, how do I balance the priorities of preaching and teaching and counseling and leading, administrating, training staff, training teachers and deacons and praying for the sick, equipping the saints, starting new churches? Well, God's plan for His church is simply this: Ephesians four, eleven, and twelve. God uses pastors to perfect the saints, uh, for the saints to do the work of the ministry, and for the body of Christ, the local church, to be built up. And so you see there in page two, uh, number three, the summarizing of the pastor's work. And really, what it comes down to is you're gonna you're gonna have to delegate. You're gonna have to train and delegate. Jesus spent half His ministry with. Uh, the crowds, and then he spent half that time uh, with the uh, 12 disciples, and then he turned it over to them. So if we summarize it, we see that the Lord wants us to spend our time evangelizing the lost, establishing and organizing a church for his glory. And so the churches were established in the faith, and they increased in number. The training of Timothy's and the starting of new churches, and then the feeding and the leading and loving the sheep. Feed them the word of God and lead them by example and love them with a supernatural love. And when a pastor loves his people, uh, they know it. And when a pastor or missionary does not love God's people, uh, he will not lead God's people. When a pastor and his people really love the Lord and each other, all the powers of hell cannot stop them. There was an elderly missionary couple having, having uh, a dinner with a younger missionary couple. This was in Africa, and they were going, the young couple, going through all kinds of trials. And, and the man had broken his arm, gone to the local hospital. They had said it the wrong way, and like, nothing was working out. And so finally the, uh, the el- uh, elder pastor's missionary wife said, Well, do you hate these people yet? And he was shocked. What do you mean? Do I hate these people? What do you hate these people yet? And uh, and she said, When you come to the end of yourself and you understand that it is not your love, but it is God's love through you, then you can love them in a supernatural way. And that's what they had to get to. Because if you have to manufacture the love for people, it, it, you're going to come and empty real quick. But if you realize, Man, I, I'm just... I'm just the valve, and it is the love of God from heaven that has this unending supply from the Holy Spirit of God that's going to come to me and through me and for them, and it's never going to end, and you're going to be able to love and keep on loving and keep on loving, and so uh, these are some things. But then notice letter E there. There's a blank, and it's you fill in the blank. God may lead you to do a ministry that will be unique to you, and that's okay. Uh, God will equip you in a certain way. I, I was nine years into the pastorate, and my first wife came down with cancer. A year later, she was in heaven, and uh, that was in '93. In 1996, God brought to me Jody. I had two boys in the first marriage. God has given us three more, so now we have five children total. But I, that is a ministry I hadn't planned on. Of, of being able to reach out to counsel uh, those who are widowed and especially uh, men in ministry, pastors and missionaries. So things will happen to you and for you that will allow you to be unique in that ministry. And so you'll fill in the blank. I heard yesterday of a a man in the Washington, D.C. area, Pastor Mike Creed, and he has a ministry going over to the Capitol and being able to give Bibles and books out to those in Capitol Hill. Now, we don't have that ministry, but because of where he's located, that's going to be unique to him, and there will be things that will be unique to you in your ministry. Well, how do I do it? Uh, The next point there, number four, how do I maintain a balance? How do I maintain a balance in my ministry? Uh, and, and Pastor Chappell, if you were, uh, some of you may have been in that uh, particular session that he had and uh, that was uh, was to be able to list your roles. And as you list your roles, I think that is, is a good way for you to be able to examine where you end up wanting to go. And so as you as you think of the roles that you have as a Christian, a man, a woman of God, a, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a pastor, pastor's wife, a brother, a friend, uh, and, and how God is going to be, able to, uh, to be able to help you. So you identify those roles and say, okay, I need to make sure that I'm attending to each one of these. And so to be able to maintain balance, we're going to talk, first of all, about the ministry time. The ministry time. There are no two pastors who will be alike. We will always be different. Why? Uh, different pastors with different personalities, different giftedness, different likes and dislikes, different opportunities. Paul said, a great and effectual door is opened unto me, yet there were many adversaries. I think of Paul and Barnabas. Paul is the trailblazer. Uh, Paul is opening up new fields. Barnabas went with him the first time, and then the second trip, what happens? Uh, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. Paul well, says, No. Don't take quitters with me. I'm not going to have a quitter go with me. No, Barnabas says, no, I think God's done a really good work in his life. I, I, I think he will be of use in the kingdom. Paul says, no, I'm not going to go. The dissension is so great they split. Paul is followed by uh, the uh, writer of Luke, the Holy Spirit. But we find John Mark being profitable for the ministry, don't we? We find John Mark giving us one of our four Gospels. Amen. Did God use Barnabas as he reached out to be able to help John Mark? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so God will use you in the particular way that He has, which means don't try to be anyone else, be yourself. Be how God has made you, and let God use you the way He has made you, the way He has gifted you and the way He has created you. God used both of those men, and He'll use you. So let's evaluate your ministry time. And so how to do that is to be able to, uh, to divide up, uh, to be able to divide up the, the day. And let's see if we can, can take a look at this and think about this. I'd like to give you a quote from, uh, from one of these, these time experts, Ted Ingstrom. This is what he said. One thing I do as a young pastor would be to keep an appointment book based on 21 increments of the week, morning, afternoon, and evening, seven days a week, thinking in terms of those 21 units rather than every 30 minutes help us avoid being frustrated with the inevitable interruptions. And so for, for me in my life, I, I remember two years into the ministry, and uh, things are really growing. I mean, we have oh, maybe 25 people, and then we're getting 30 and maybe 35 people. And, and uh, uh, I preached all the Old Testament, and then I preached all the New Testament. And then it's like, what am I going to do now? And uh, so, so I, I got a hold of some material, and they said, well, keep a time log. And so I did that. I did that for two weeks. And I would suggest to you, if you're struggling in this area of organization, uh, to be able to to use an A B C D. A uh, is stands for that which is vital, the most important thing that you can do. B is going to be some value. Uh, C is little value. D is no value. And I thought, oh, this is going to take a lot of time to do this, but it really didn't. So for two weeks, every day, every hour. I wrote down what I did, and I gave it an A, B, C, or D. A is vital. Uh, B had had uh, 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 was important, but not as, as much as the A. C had some value. D no value. And at the end of those two weeks, I said, this is a mess. I, I had too many Cs and way too many Ds filling up my life, and things have to change. And I sought the Lord for help in that and to be able to make some changes in that. Now, now, later on, I came across, across this suggestion of, of being able to take, uh, take your day and to put it in and making the 21 increments. And you can have a plan, and I think you should have a plan, and then God can change that plan. Uh, for instance, there's going to be the emergency when it comes to a, a crisis counseling, the emergency when it comes to, uh, to a death, the emergency when it comes to uh, whatever it might be, or, or you know, there's that, that hospital visitation you need to make for the... Uh, and it. say, oh, i got my study time. I really can't come and pray with you for the heart surgery today. You know, it doesn't work that way. You have to be flexible and then to be able to adjust. But, but you can adjust a plan if you have a plan. If you have no plan, then you're going to be spending your time on the C's and the D's and you're not going to be organized. And you're not going to get done what you need to get done. And so I'd encourage you to be able to, to think of that in that way. And then you want to make sure that you have some of these slots for family. And if you don't and you lose your family, you lose your ministry. Do we understand that? Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, uh, pastors to be blameless... And that's kind of a general qualification. Then he says, the husband of one wife. He says, uh, ruling your children, keeping your household in order. And so having that balance is extremely important and you need to be able to uh, to be able to have that kind of, of uh, balance in your life. Now, since ministry and preaching and teaching, uh, how many are preaching, at le- preaching or teaching at least one time a week? Would you raise your hand? Okay, how many of you two times a week? All right, three times a week? Anybody four times a week? Okay, it, it's, it's, it's a lot And when we started the church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night It's four times a week And when you do that for several years that, That's an incredible load And that's what I had in those early years it, it, And it's this tension of If I don't go out and, and hit the streets Nobody's going to come and But if I don't prepare Nobody's going to stay and So you've got to do both And that's just the way it is and so, uh, and it happened. It happened the year that uh, uh, that I that I lost my first wife to cancer. Uh, nine years pastoring, and in that in that fall, I found ten men in our church, and I said, "I'd like you, I'd like you, ten men, to teach uh, your favorite psalm." And so, for ten weeks, those ten men, they taught their favorite psalm, and my eyes were opened up. And I'm not the only teacher or preacher in this church. And so from that, being able to delegate that out. And, and what was really neat is some of those men were deacons. Some of those men became deacons. Uh, some of those men are now our associate pastors. And they're now here this week on our staff. And so being able to, to multiply, being able to multiply ministry. And so I've given you in your notes there. I know Sunday's a little squeezed, but you can see on the chart, you can, you can begin, begin to think now tonight or on your traveling home uh, to be able to say this is what I'm doing or this is what I need to be doing and being able to uh, get that organized. How to guard your mornings. Ask your family to help. Now, how many of you have your office at home? Would you raise your hand? Okay, lots of you. Uh, I remember after having our first son, and, uh, you know, we had this three-bedroom townhouse, and one bedroom was the office. And, and when Matthew was old enough, and he's on our staff now, graduate graduated West Coast, he's here now. And he would bang on the door, Daddy, Daddy. And it's really tough to study and pray when you got a, a two- or three-year-old banging on the door like that. But uh, what, what you need to do is, is ask your family to help guard your mornings and ask your church family to help. Uh, more than one occasion, I've gone to the church family and just said, "You know, uh, this is this is what we're going to be doing. I'm I like to be I'm always available to you for anything, any emergency, but but unless it's the emergency, I'd prefer to be able to uh, to take the calls in the afternoon, just to be able to let them know. And I like the. Uh, I like the story that, that Spurgeon said. He was in his office and he was studying and a knock came to the door and, and the housemaid came and, and took the answer and came back and says, Mr. So-and-so is here to see you. And, and Spurgeon said, well, uh, please tell him I'm busy and I'll, I'll be able to, uh, to come back another time. And so she goes back and talks to the gentleman and, and uh, gives a message and, and the lady returns and says to Mr. Spurgeon, and he, he, and he said that I am to tell you that a servant of the king is here to see you now. Would you come and see him? And uh, Spurgeon said to the young lady, she said, go back and tell him I'm meeting with the king. I don't have time for his servants right now. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to have your time with God. You've got to get a word from the Lord for yourself and to be able to share. And so uh, as Pastor Chapel said yesterday, mornings are the best time. Now, if your best time is a different time, that's okay, too. And in your seasons of life, it might change. But to be able to say, I'm going to guard this time and have this time. Ask the family to help. Uh, Discipline yourself to tackle the toughest job first. And that is what we don't like to do. But we need to do that. And so look on page 84.3, the pros and cons of an office at home. And so you see the pros. There's no traffic to deal with. Uh, the uh, another pro is to go to work in your pajamas uh, you can go to work after dinner uh, you can save money in our area when we started it was eight hundred dollars just to rent an office a single office uh, off-site uh, babysit while your wife is shopping on the cons side having an office at home family interruptions uh, divided attention with with the duties at home uh, another con is you can go to work after dinner. Uh, another one is limited space, and another on the con side is to babysit while your wife is shopping. <laughs> so that that can go that can go both ways as well. And so you can see that, and that might change over different times. And then to be able to consider your computer usage, consider your computer usage. That can be a blessing, and it can be a curse. Uh, I'd like you to consider to, to delegate. Does, uh, uh, does your wife want to do email? If she does, then maybe let her do that. If possible, uh, have your Internet access for the family in a high-traffic area uh, to, to stay away from the non-essential and the junk email. Uh, Pastor Chapel said it once as well. I've never been in a chat room. I can join him in that. I've never been in a chat room. Gentlemen, we, we don't have time. We don't have time. You know, send a text, a short one, make a quick phone call, but we don't have time to do that. That is a waste of time. It's the good, better, and the best, and it doesn't even qualify in the good level. And so stay away from that. Uh, filters, use filters. Uh, just because you are in ministry, just because you are in ministry does not mean that you are, that you are exempt from temptation. It does not mean that uh, that you are insulated from moral failure. You have to understand that that because of the privacy that you have, that you are a target of Satan, and he will want to use that privacy that you have, and he'll want to take advantage of that, and he'll want to be able to, to get a foothold into your life. And so you, you, by example, for your family and your church family, you just put on the filtering software. You say, well, I don't know if I need it. Well, just do it because you want to build trust for your wife. Do it because you want to be an example to your kids. Do it because you want to be an example to the men in your church. Uh, we are living in an age of such uh, easy corruption. You've, you're going to have to set that fence uh, a little bit higher and a little bit stronger to be able to, uh, to be that example. Letter D, another thought here is to keep the main thing uh, the main thing. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did, uh, did as well. And so let's go ahead and, and, uh, and then talk about the leadership that, that we need to have to be able to have uh, the organization in our church. And one is, 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 is the biblical leadership. And you go to the Word of God and you see David and, and the people that came to David. Do you remember that? That group that came to David, they had some problems. Do you remember what the problems were? They were in debt and they were discontent and they were discouraged. Sounds like an average Baptist church, doesn't it? All right. But, but, God, deacons, but God took, he took through David's leadership and these men were transformed into what? David's mighty men. And all I had to say is, oh, oh, if I could just have a drink from the well of the water from Bethlehem. And three men risked their lives to break through the Philistine lines to go and, and to bring him a cup of water from Bethlehem. And when they brought it to him, he was so overwhelmed in, in humility. What did he do with the water? He poured it on the ground. Now, can you imagine those three guys? <laughs> we just risked our life and you're pouring it on the ground. But he was making a point. He was making a point that he was undeserving uh, of that. And that's, that's a great loyalty and love they had for him. Uh, But that was because of his love and loyalty and leadership to them. And so we see that. We see it in David. We see it in Nehemiah. When everybody saw the garbage, he saw the wall. And in 52 days, it was built. Uh, Leadership books. Ben you've come to the right place. Uh, Ten years ago, these resources weren't here. These resources are here now, and it might mean a few less trips to Starbucks or to the Dunkin' Donuts, uh, but to be able to, uh, the order in the church is an outstanding book. Uh, The book coming out in the fall on Deacons is going to be here. I'm familiar with, with most of these books, but... They keep producing them every year. And uh, Tom Farrell's uh, book on on preaching is fantastic. And these are the kinds of resources that you want to continue to be able to build into your life. Again, why? Because you want to bring organization uh, to your life and also to, uh, to your ministry. So Striving Together Books is a great way to be able to to go. Uh, Church Still Works is another one. Another thing, if you have staff, lay leaders, uh, uh, what we do is we'll take a book a year and we'll study it as a staff. And this last year we used the Church Still Works uh, book. We've used Don Sisk's book as well. This coming year it's going to be How to Live Pure in an Impure World by by Jim Binney, uh through the LEAD Ministries. And then let's talk about the... uh, uh Another thought under this uh, and the leadership I remember with my pastor, Pastor Bud Calvert, he'll be teaching here next year. As he taught me, he said, he said, give jobs, not titles. Give jobs, not titles. Because when you take away a title, you've hurt some feelings. When we began the church and after about five years, we grew to 100 people. We're averaging 90 in the fifth year. In the sixth year, we built a building, and in that sixth year, we doubled from 90 to 180. And about that time, I can look back, and I remember introducing 10 different lay leaders. We didn't have staff, but we had 10 lay leaders, and that was delegating, giving them an opportunity to be able to, to minister and serve. Now, sometimes they're going to do something a little different than the way I would do it, and that's okay. Sometimes they'll do it a little bit better than the way I would have done it, and that's really okay but being able to, uh, to, to give those jobs and to train them, to cast vision, uh, to lead by example. And then to be able to, to uh, and I know this is we're hitting a lot of topics here, but under the finances, under the finances, uh, to be able to have a, a church budget. Now, compared to when I started to where you are now, uh, Quicken Books is, is definitely the way to go. And uh, if, if you don't want to take the time to do that, then you delegate and have someone else take that. But you can do a very short list of a, of a chart of accounts. Uh, and to always have posted an income and expense statement, you can do it, I, I would suggest, by the quarter. Uh, that it's always posted and so that when people come in, you can refer them to that, to have an annual church business meeting, uh, to have special business meetings. But these monthly business meetings, you know, that, that you're just, you're just looking for trouble, uh, to be right. able to do that. And so, annual church business meeting. And another thing that, that my pastor taught me, uh, is he said, I, before I go into a business meeting with the deacons or with the church, I, I try and think of every possible question that's going to be asked. And so to be able to then have an answer for that if I can. And having done that, I remember the first bus that we were going to buy. And it was the only flop of a business meeting that I've ever had. And so uh, there was this bus, and it was one of those little 21-passenger-used buses, and it was $1,200. And it, it, uh, we had uh, Grant Rice. Anybody ever know that name, Grant Rice? He was a church planner from wisconsin and uh, he's written a book on church planning as well. And he was in and uh, he spotted it. And so as soon as he's out of town, on there. I get the phone number. That Wednesday night, I bring it before the church. Here's a bus. It's $1,200. And this will be great. We already have someone bringing people in on the, in their car. And then the questions started coming. Well, uh, have you had a mechanic look at it? Uh, no. Uh, well, what year is it? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, How many miles are on it? I don't know. Anybody take a test drive on it? You got to have a bus license. And, and, uh, I said, you know, those are really good questions. I fumbled. I said, those are good questions. I will get back to you on that. And then on Friday, uh, Friday, the bus is outside of, uh, the front door of the church. And, uh, someone that was there that Wednesday night, he just went out and bought it and brought it over. So it appeared on Sunday morning that we just bypassed the church, went ahead and bought this bus. And so, I said, hey, no, no, someone just went out and bought it and brought it over. And that began our first bus ministry. <laughs> but it taught me. you got to think it through. So when we have our deacons meeting, Matt Manny, who's in our last deacons meeting last Wednesday night. And we had all of our deacons there. And, and I explained to Matt, when we have a deacons meeting, what we do is we'll, we'll, we'll bring an item. We'll call it an information item. And then we'll call it a discussion item. And then we'll call it an action item. And, and so if you lead meetings like that, those would be some good points to jot down. An information item, a discussion item, and an action item. You bring in layman, and then you say, hey, I've got this great idea, and you've been thinking about this idea for weeks, and then you want them to decide on it right away? They haven't had the time to adjust to, to this idea. So, so that's, that's the format. Information item. Discussion item, action item. And they'll come along and they can be a great help to you. Uh, Deacons are meant to be a blessing. Deacons are meant to be a help. And if they are trained in the Word of God and they're spirit-filled men, uh, they will be a great help and blessing to you. Church budget. May I also recommend that you have an annual review from a CPA As opposed to an audit, you'll spend three to four times the amount of money to get the audit, and the review does all that you need. We have never had a church audit, but once we applied for a loan to build the first building, we were were four years old, we began having a church review, and so it's, it's a lot less expensive, and it gives credibility in the minds of the deacons and the people that things are being done decently in order. Uh, and if you have honest and ethical and spirit-filled people that are handling the money, you know, you, you, you will give an account to the Lord and you want to do it right. But that would be the way to go is a review as opposed to an audit. And in all these years, with millions of dollars, the banks never ask for an audit. They're happy to have the CPA review, and that uh, can save you a lot. Website. Website. Uh, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died between Who? Two thieves and they deserve to die. One of those thieves got saved. And the reason he got saved is the Spirit of God worked in his heart because he saw a couple of things. One one thing that he saw was these people uh, spitting on Christ, cursing Christ. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He looked at his mom and he said, Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. And he observed a godly life. But there's another thing that thieves saw you know what it was? It was the sign. It was the tract. It was the website above his head. This is Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. It was the written word. And so God used it then and so he uses it today. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. We want people to read that and see that. And so right now, the phone book is out. Uh, website is in. Yeah. And and when I started, they said the most important form of advertising we could put our money into was, was a phone book. Um, we needed some some, uh, some medicines, and so I needed to call a pharmacy and I'm looking over the motel. There's no phone book. I, I don't <laughs> ever recall being in a motel without a phone book. So I called the front desk and said, hey, do you have a phone book down there? Oh, we don't have phone books. <laughs> we use the Internet. and And so that's... That is a sample of where the people are today. Amen. And they're going to Google. They're going to go to the church site. Number, uh, number eight, sermon planning. Declaring the whole counsel of God is what we are, are, are challenged to do. And it requires, I think, both expository preaching and topical preaching. Nehemiah 8.8, 8, so they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Paul said to Timothy, till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. He said, read the text, explain the text, apply the text. Uh, And you'll hear and read things. Ah, everything has to be expository and only expository. But when you think about topical preaching, you think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Greatest sermon by the greatest preacher who ever lived. It's a topical sermon. Uh, Peter's message on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Uh, uh Stephen's message before his persecutors, Acts chapter 7, preached the entire Old Testament in one sermon, and he was a deacon. Paul's famous sermon on Mars Hill, Acts 17, and these are all topical messages. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep, John 21, 16. Peter tells us, feed the flock of God. And I believe a healthy combination of topical and expository sermons can be both balanced and biblical. What is the result? Spiritually healthy sheep and spiritually healthy sheep reproduce. And so planning your preaching year, planning your preaching year, uh, to choose a yearly theme. And just walk around here. I think they used to be posted in the North Auditorium. Are they still there? The different themes? Uh, just to kind of get the uh, creative juices going and jot a couple of things down. And maybe you'll take it. Maybe you'll modify it a little bit. But to have a, a yearly church theme and to pray for the Lord to put a theme in your heart. Nehemiah 2.12. What my God hath put in my heart. And so that's what you want. You want to be able to have have it from... Uh, from God, and then to know the state of thy flock. Proverbs twenty-seven, twenty-three. Uh, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well uh, to thy herds. And then you see there on page eighty-four point four, to to as you plan a combination of the expository and topical messages. Uh, by year. And then as you consider that to also take a calendar and to put in all the special days and the holidays that will happen and then to plan your calendar with the Lord's Supper. For us, we do it every two months. And then to be able to create a file folder in your desk and on your computer for the series. Uh, you can turn that, that junk mail into sermon illustrations. You can publicly give credit to the source, to the church member. Uh, church members ever give you anything on Sunday? Uh, they, they, oh, pastor, I read this, or I, I like you to see this, and and those things. First question is, do you want this back? All right, <laughs> do you want this back? Because if you don't ask that question, they come back to you. Oh, that was my grandmother's. So I just want to be able to put it back in in the, in the in the curio case. So ask if they want it back. But as they give you those things, uh, you show interest. You show care by by taking a look at what they've given to you, and that can be a great source of sermon illustrations, and you can give them credit for that. Check out junk email through uh, snoops.com, urbanlegends.com. Please don't waste your time or someone else's time by passing on faulty information. Make sure that it's legitimate and true uh, before, uh, before you pass it on. And then create a file for future holidays. Uh, holidays are always going to come. I, I've preached 26 Mother's Day messages and 26 Father's Day messages and 26, and it just goes on and on and on. And those are opportunities when people will bring their friends and their relatives, and it might be the only time they come, and you want to make sure that, that uh, you have the gospel in that and you're creative for that. And then a sermon seed file. Uh, from your own Bible reading, from other messages that you hear, uh, and then a future holiday file. And then to be able to mentor the layman uh, to teach and to delegate and teach in Sunday school. Uh, the benefits of long-term uh, sermon planning are are tremendous, and you want to be a, uh, be a part of that. When we began the church, we produced a, a flyer. And in that flyer, I would list sermon topics. And we did it for the first week. And that's how we began the church. And then so uh, after a couple of months, we thought, okay, we've got a new year, 1985. And so I went through and planned out the, the year of sermons and put the topics in. You see, when, when we began the, the church, we had no youth ministry. We had no choir. We didn't have a nursery. Uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have any ministries. But we had the Word of God. Amen. And that's what they need most. And so I would put on a flyer and topics, and I would use the John 4 approach. Jesus is at the well with the woman of Samaria, and, and he starts the conversation. And he says, woman, well, I can I have a drink? And she says, well, you're a Jew. What are you talking to me for, a Samaritan? And then he says, if you would have asked me for a drink, I would have given you living water. And you never thirst again. What did he do? He he put some bait out there. Something to be able to make her interested in what he had. Uh, You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can put salt in his oats and make him thirsty. And that's what the John 4 of evangelism is all about. Is making people thirsty for what God has for them. The truth and heaven and forgiveness. And so to be able to take that, and it says something else, when people get that, ah, this must be a really organized church. I mean, look at that. All the sermons are listed there for months on end. And then they come, and you know, there's 25 people, 30 people. and uh, But they came for the Word of God. And that's what we're giving them. And then the nursery comes, and the youth ministry, and the widow's ministry, and all the other ministries as well. The benefits of of long-term sermon planning, are these. It is a quality pulpit ministry. It is a more organized pulpit ministry. Paul said, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily ask to the Lord and not unto men. Uh, he said, Let all things be done decently and in order. The difference there is a, is a crockpot message versus a microwave message. Um, and it is a difference. Uh, when, when I was widowed and I had the two boys and, and we had uh, some folks that, that uh, made, made meals for us uh, as a single dad and a couple of boys. And, and then our two associate pastor's wives, one read a book called Once a Month Cooking. And so these two ladies would come over while I was at the office and they made 15 meals and froze them. And so I would come home and, and read it and I'd pull something out. And, and then what I had to do is just stick it in the microwave uh, to be able to go ahead and, and cook this for the kids and and so i i uh, I was a single dad for for about two and a half years and and i during that time it was awful i 'm glad my kids didn 't starve, but my boy uh, Matthew would say, "Dad, do you think we should have some vegetables and i say oh that's that 's a good idea so then i'd you know it, it's gentlemen, it 's hard to cook and have everything hot at the same time all right uh, but then uh, so i 'd get some vegetables and cook that, and then i I'd get something else and cook that, and we would eat in in shifts. (laughs) And uh, we didn't starve, but almost. But then in 1996, June the 15th, I married my wonderful wife, Jody. We had our honeymoon. We came home. And the very first Sunday, the very first Sunday, when we came home from church, we opened the door. It hit us. She had put chicken in the crockpot. And you open the door, and, and that aroma just hits you. It's like, ah. And we sit down, and we eat this delicious meal. And, and our youngest, Jeremy, looks at Jody and says, this is the best meal I've ever had in my life. <laughs> What's the difference? Microwave meal? crockpot meal? Guess what? Uh, we still enjoy those meals. We love that those, those meals are nourishing. They're healthy for us. And so it is spiritually. Are you going to give them a microwave meal or a crockpot meal? you to feed them uh, the Word of God. And then lastly is to encourage yourself in the Lord. God will not make any mistakes in your life or ministry. Uh, God will not leave you alone. God will grow you through specifically designed trials for you. Mine are different from yours. Yours are different from mine. But they are divine appointments by God. Accept that and love Him for it. And then number 10, never depart from Baptist distinctives and biblical doctrine. Uh, Gentlemen, don't believe the myth of the greener grass in the phony church growth movement. Uh, nor the fatalism of Calvinism. Calvinism is a poor excuse for disobeying the Great Commission. Uh, Do not buy into it. Do not believe it. Keep doing the right thing. Uh, We have had folks come from those phony church growth movement messes and they'll tell you how shallow it is and they'll tell you how, how it's show but it's not God. Form of godliness denying the power thereof.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on the administration of a new church with Pastor Scott Wendell. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.